if you look at any wild animal out living on its own, there is no free lunch. There is no safe, warm place to to sleep without putting some effort in, you know, like nothing takes for granted having the basic necessities of life, the ways that humans do. And so if we understand that those things aren't given, then we get to be really appreciative of them. Okay, guys, welcome back to Live on Bone podcast. I'm your host, Steve McDonald, and by trade and training, a high-performance coaching consultant. I am delighted to share a conversation I had with Wanya Thiebold. Now, she is one of the most powerful people I have ever spoken to, and I first came across Wanya a few years ago when I saw her in action on Season 6 alone, an extreme wilderness survival experience and competition. Wanya is the first female contestant to win the series and she shares her story of pushing beyond perceived human limitations just below the Arctic Circle for a combined 143 days. So that's 143 days alone, isolated, in nature, below the Arctic Circle where conditions can get pretty, pretty harsh and Wanya survived out there for that length of time. Um, So you can imagine even spending that amount of time on your own is a challenge but to do so in a place where you have to work you know for your food you have to build your own shelter you know nothing is given to you right you know there's so there was so much challenges and as Ronnie would explain so much learnings and transformative moments through her journey that it was just there's so much learnings I took from it I'm so excited to share it to share it with you guys and despite being that being on the edge of death Ronnie's achievement serves as such a powerful reminder to us all no, we can pursue our dreams and with passion, with grit, with determination, with connection, with responsibility, humility and a joy derived from nature rather than a challenge, it's a powerful place to be. So yeah guys, look, with that being said, I think I want to just hand it right over. Excited for this one, so please enjoy. Okay, Wania, so I, I'm, super, I'm super curious, first of all, anyway, about why you, right? So you've, you've had some experiences in life and absolutely where you've been challenged they're really ferocious experiences and then you flourished through those experiences in, in many ways and um, i'm not sure how many other people would have achieved what you've achieved through those experiences and would have had the experiences you've had and um, through the challenges so what is it about you you know that nearly the experiences found you in a way right so it's just, can you can you tell me a little bit more about why you yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. And, you know, I, I hold these kind of two contrasts in my work and the way I speak about things, because on the one hand, part of my message is that we're all capable of doing the things that I did out on the Alone Show in the wilderness. Mm. Um, it's where we all come from. We all evolved to live that kind of life. And so part of my message is that I'm not necessarily special. I'm just expressing genes that a lot of us are allowing to be expressed through us. At the same time, I also think that given our context in the modern world, who I am and what I do is actually very unique and trying to find that balance between owning my own gifts and strengths Mm. and experience and also not making it feel unachievable to other people to live wild in really dramatic wild landscapes. So to answer your question, what I think makes me unique amongst the Mm. other sea of people 
all of whose ancestors evolved to live in the wilderness, is having developed from a very young age a deep connection to and honestly love relationship with the wild world around me. From the time I was a kid, I was more interested in hanging out on the on the porch stairway and watching the spiders build webs in the corners yeah. than playing with dolls or baby carriages or what have you. And I had the great yeah. fortune to grow up in, in this area, actually the foothills of the Sierra Nevada mountains, mm. which are an absolutely incredible, beautiful environment, have two parents who both spent a lot of time outside and bringing me out to beautiful mm. wild places from the time I was able to hike and carry a backpack. So growing up in a rural place of magnificent beauty with wilderness all around and having yeah. access to it definitely shaped me and led to my seeing the wild as a natural place to spend time as opposed to a place that was out to get me or that mm. I didn't belong. Yeah. That said, I also, you know, I was always very bright. I always was a bookworm. I read a lot of, lot of books. I was always very driven to make and do things with my hands. Yeah. So the combination of love of nature and crafting from an early age meant that I felt pretty confident to manipulate the environment and make the things that I needed from the resources I found around me from, you know, the time I hit puberty. So... Yeah. I would say that a combination of a strong drive and yeah. a desire to live in a wilder way and the skills and abilities and practice of learning those skills that are needed for a wilder life, even though the skills were the end in themselves. I wasn't learning them because I was interested in survival. I just wanted to live my best life, which involved a lot of time yeah. outside and making really cool things. Pretty uh powerful one of you right I mean if more people had that experience those experiences in life and that mindset I think the world would be a better place and and right now if I kind of sidetrack for a while you mentioned that we all you know ancestral living and tapping into you know where we've all come from and I suppose right now in the world there's so much people living so far away from that you know what impact is that having or you know in, in those people's lives and in the world so it's, as we're so far away from what we've all originated from you know, you must have some sense of that one here, some yearning to, to you know, to get in there and, and help those people and bring about a, a shift in that, in that, in that, in that, in that kind of, in that arena of, you know, not living from where we're supposed to live from source. So like, what's your sense on that one? You know, how does that make you feel? Or what's the, like, what would you, um, what can you do there? Right. What advice would you give people that are in that place that maybe don't realize um, what they're missing or, you know, what, what impact is having on them? Yeah, that's a huge thrust of my work. Remembering, reminding people that they are connected to the natural world. They just need to remember it. One of the things that I remind people is every breath we take, we are connected to the wild world around us. We are literally inhaling the exhaust from the green living things on our planet. Yeah. And with our breath, we are giving them what they need. So there, it's not actually physically possible for us to be divorced from nature. Mm. What that looks like might be really different if you live in a bustling city versus if you live in the country. But the natural world is there. The concrete under your feet you know, came at one time from oyster shells that were burned mm. in a lime kiln, you know, everything in our world comes from this planet. So we are of it. That said, there are a lot of practices that I think can really increase our ability to live in a way that's more aligned with it. And just 
reminding ourselves who we are and where we come from and what we actually need. I think one of the issues with modern culture is that we are so entitled. We are so used yeah, to having everything yeah. we need at the push of a button. And so we, or I should say everything we want, and we tend to equate our needs with our wants. And there's nothing better than almost starving to death in a freezing wilderness by yourself to recognize yeah, the yeah. real difference between <laughs> need and want. You know, like I want a warm meal and I want a cozy bed and I want companionship, but I can survive for a long time without them. And there's something about actually finding that edge of truly what it takes to just stay alive yeah, that yeah. makes you appreciate so much more all of the things in your life. And I think one of the the real ills in our culture is this idea that we can never have enough. We can never be enough. We need to fill our lives with, yeah. you know, media and sound and stimulation all the time because just existing isn't enough. So for me, it's all about reminding people, pause, take a step back yeah. and look at what's actually around you and waken up our nervous systems. Because when we live in the modern world where we're assaulted with too much stimulation, we have no choice but to shut down and not rely on some of those deeper senses and intuitions and ways of understanding what's happening in the world mm. around us because we'd be overstimulated if we tried but when we're out in nature and we have the ability to open up those senses and notice where there's water on the landscape because you can smell the moisture in the soil or yeah. recognize the different shade of green and the plants that grow in wet areas versus in dry areas listen to the songs of the bird sounds and be able to see when a bird is singing its song because everything's fine or making an alarm call because it feels threatened. Yeah. There are all these ways that mm. we're supposed to tune in to, with the wild connect. world around us. Yeah, for sure. And, and we're not able yeah. to in modern world. No, you know, and I want to just acknowledge what you said about being starving, you know, literally, you know, you've been on the edge, right? Being as closer to death than, you know, I, 99 99 percent of people will, will ever get to right before, before we all eventually pass away. You've been there through your experiences on on alone, and you know I think um, seventy three days was season six. One is that your time frame you were out there, right? So just to clarify, that's seventy three days just below the Arctic, um, completely alone and surviving through you know through your own you know your own two hands and your own sense of your your experiences in the wilderness. So 73 days is an exceptional feat. And um, I want to congratulate you on that. And I know you went back again. But uh, before we get to when you went back again, like those 73 days, it's such a big question, right? But can you tell me about the journey from day one to day 73? I know there's so many things you can say here, right? But <laughs> let's, have a, let's, let's give it a go, right? Because it was a journey for sure, right? Day one to day 73. I mean, Absolutely. That's a life in itself, yeah. you know? Well, I, I can try. It is why I wrote a, a pretty lengthy book. And the one thing that a lot of people don't know from watching the show is that my journey to alone, my survival journey, honestly, started well before they dropped me in the wilderness by helicopter. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean the years of training and knowledge building, because of course, those were part of the journey as well. Mm -hmm. But I, in the course of getting ready, I decided that I wanted to hand make as many of my clothing 
items as I could. And so I was committed to a pretty intense summer of preparation. And as I was engaging in that, I went to see a health professional who actually diagnosed me with a pretty intense genetic disorder that was potentially life-threatening and potentially told me that I had to completely shift everything about the way I live my life. And luckily, that was a misdiagnosis, but I didn't know that for Ooh. some time. And then shortly after getting that diagnosis, my mother had a terrible accident. And I'm, I'm an only child of a single mother mm -hmm. who at that time was 75 years old. She fell from a ladder and crushed her lower leg and had a major reconstructive surgery and was in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And I dropped everything to be her care provider while keeping my very ambitious plans about how to prepare for the show. So there were many, many times the summer before alone that thought, I thought I was going to drop dead from yeah. the stress of all I was trying to do. And I thought that it was potentially impossible for me to even make it onto that plane. So I just paused one here, right? So like you felt it was important to say that. And I have so much admiration for you to share that with, with everybody. And I suppose what's the, the message or the learning or the lesson or kind of the teaching in your experiences even before you went on the two alone, right? For me, part of the lesson of my extremely challenging months living up to leaving for alone was the degree to which what feels insurmountable, what feels like stress is all relative. It all really depends on the circumstances. And for me, having the challenge of just getting to alone be so incredibly stressful and intense made being dropped by myself in the wilderness feel like heaven. I mean, yeah, to me, yeah. I had already met the challenge from the second I stepped off that helicopter because I made it there. Mm. And for many people, the challenge begins once they watch that helicopter fly away. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the things that's unique about me as well that made me particularly resilient in the face of the very challenging circumstances in Northern Canada on the Alone Show is the fact that I haven't had it particularly easy in my life. I grew up, grew up fairly poor. I grew up an only child. My mother had cancer when I was seven mm. years old, and I thought that my sole care provider might die. Um, you know, I've I've been through two divorces. I've had a community that I helped create fall to pieces, taking yeah. my business along with it. I've been through a lot of loss yeah. and a lot of hardship. And I had to find that strength deep inside to push through that. And a lot of those things that I've mm. been through had so much pain and so much difficulty that the beauty and the magic and all of the things I loved about being in the wilderness, I mean, that was nowhere near the hardest thing I'd ever done. It was more yeah. physically challenging and it was potentially more life-threatening, but it came with so much joy and so much to balance the difficulty that I think it really, particularly my first alone experience, it honestly wasn't something that I would have described as hard compared to some of the emotional challenges I've been through in my yeah. life. And I think that we have this idea that, well, we have dual ideas in our culture. One, we do have the belief that whatever mm. doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But then we have all kinds of people who are suffering from PTSD and recognize yeah. that that is not in fact true. It's your ability to get through challenging times and find the gift and let it yeah. change you and transform yeah. yourself. That mm. is what makes us stronger. It's not what we go through. It is how we respond yeah. to what we go through sure, that makes like, us stronger. Like what you share, when you're sharing there, Wani, I, I can't help but kind of put myself in the, in the shoes of people that are listening in. 
And, you know, I think a lot of people that have, and I think we all have challenging lives. And again, you said everything is relative um, in, in many ways, but a lot of people that have extremely challenging lives, you know, would, would oftentimes hold on to that nearly as a kind of a victim mentality, you know, unbeknownst themselves. And it could be great people, but still not truly, as you mentioned, kind of seek out the transformative nature of their journey and to, to enhance their lives in the moment or to bring about, you know, an ability to greater help other people, right? So they, they stay stuck for some reason, but like you didn't. Um, and even at seven years of age, when your mother was diagnosed with cancer and obviously an only child with, with no father, how do you, how did you? I shouldn't say I had yeah. no father. My, my father was in my life. Okay. But my parents split when I was young and I lived with my mother. So okay. I, I had a yeah. father who would have raised me. I wouldn't have been orphaned. But at that time, my mother was my sole care provider. Yeah. And again, just to be clear. Yeah, no, that's okay. Well, but in, in case my father ever hears. <laughs> but there's huge challenges in that again in itself, right? I mean, as, as a for your father to move over to the home, right? And so again, you can imagine that must have been fairly detrimental for you. And, you know, at that age, right? But, but again, it's something that you you work through, you know, in, in whatever way possible. So I can't help but kind of wonder, like, what is it that the guys maybe that are listening that potentially could could be stuck in many ways in their lives need to hear, right? That what is it advice they need to hear? And are you kind of if you give advice to yourself when you were when you were in your younger days, you know, I kind of I'm very curious about that. I don't have a lot of recollection of the way I talked to myself when I was younger, mm. but certainly I can reflect on how I have done so in my adult life and yeah. what's shifted in me now. And I would say that one of the things that is an extremely important practice for me is looking for the gift in every challenge. Nothing is wholly, well, I shouldn't say nothing. There are things that are wholly terrible, but for the most part, there is something to be grateful for in whatever we're presented with. And even if it's just that one time this hard thing will be over and what a relief it will be when this hard time is over or whatever, whatever it might be, but looking for the gift and the challenge and finding something to be grateful for and focus on that and celebrate whatever it is that we have to be grateful for. Because mm we don't have control over our external circumstances, but we do have control over how we respond to those and the stories that we build around them. Yeah. It's very easy to build a victim story yeah. and feel like the world has, you know, taken something from us or that we're not getting what we deserve. Like the, the idea of deserve, the world is real. The word deserve is hard for me when people say, oh, it couldn't, you know, <laughs> you really deserved that. I think, well, deserve that. That's a really unempowering word, yeah. right? Yeah. We get what we put our effort towards and what we earn. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's what we deserved. And to me, our culture is so built on this idea of entitlement, you know, that we have these things that we are just supposed to get without having to work hard for them. And if you look at any wild animal out living on its own, mm. there is no free lunch. There is no safe, warm place to 
to sleep without putting some effort in, you know, like nothing takes for granted having the basic necessities of life, the ways that humans do. And so if we understand that those things aren't given, then we get to be really appreciative of them. Having gone with not enough food for a long time to where I was literally starving to death, every little calorie, every piece of food that I eat now feels like such a gift, right? Having a roof over my head and a warm place to sleep I'll appreciate that every day that I have that because I know what it is not to have it. So in order to live a more fulfilled life, I think just really being in touch with the fact that most of us are insanely wealthy compared to every generation of humans before the last few hundred years, right? We Mm. live beautiful lives And we have access to amazing resources and incredible freedoms. And going through hard times doesn't negate that. And so when we're in those challenging circumstances, if we can remember what is working rather than focusing on Mm. what's really challenging, that can absolutely transform our experience. And that, I think, is part of what gives us the ability to build strength out of hard times. Thanks for sharing, Ronnie. And, you know, I can imagine being dropped off the plane, seeing the plane go away. With that attitude, right, and that mindset you have of seeing the gift in all these in, in challenges and especially with nature, just to absolutely experience it for what it is and to be so attuned to nature. I can see how you, um, you know, I see how you progressed and advanced through the, the season very strongly. But there were, cha- there were challenges for sure. But can, can you tell me, you know, what was the most difficult challenge that you had to overcome you know, even in that season six, where was there a time where you felt, okay, I'm going to, I have to, you know, this is probably time for me. You know, I know, I know there was that day 73, but, you know, was there anything even before that kind of early on that you had to overcome? While there were all kinds of things that were really hard and physically challenging during my time out, there was never a time that I thought about leaving season six. No part of me wanted to leave ever, regardless of how cold the temperatures got, how Mm -hmm. fierce the storms were, how little food I had. The one thing that I felt might force me to leave before I wanted to was constipation. Really, really dreadful constipation. So medical evacuation on you? I I really think thought that I might be medically evacuated for that. I mean, I went, I had two separate incidences where I went 16 days without pooping and the first time it wasn't a big deal because I hadn't been eating, but mm. then I started being successful hunting and yeah. I started getting game again. And then when the the plumbing still wasn't working, it became crippling and incredible. Like, I mean, uh, yeah. I don't know how many details you want on your show, but I mean, like good. hours, clenched, <laughs> you know, crouched yeah. on the icy ground, trying to pass a huge blockage and just like, leaking blood all over the rocks standing up to just a frozen slick of blood on the rocks like really scary physical issues and this is common on a loan and you don't hear about it or see the details on the show very much and it's not something people like to talk about but honestly the hardest part of my experience in the arctic was the state of my intestines and how did you get through that one how did you overcome because again, I can imagine how many, how much percentage of the population would say, oh, that's enough for me, put a hand up and gone. You didn't, right? So so how did you, how, how did you get through that? Well, there is a substantial 
story about this in my book, so I don't want to give too much away, but I will say that (laughs) I, I got to a point where I felt like it was very, very dire. And I had one evening where the state of my cramping guts forced me out into the, into the open on a very, very cold night. And I was cramped up and crouched over and feeling terrible. And I looked up to the most magnificent Northern lights I had ever seen, just like Mm. dancing light in every neon color in ribbons over my head. And it felt like such a message that it was going to be okay and that I could get through it. And I just reached a place of resolve in myself that was that I didn't have a choice. It was really incredibly painful and very challenging, but I knew that it was to the point where I either had to force it out myself or have end up in the hospital. And, um, and luckily a couple days later, I mean, there's all kinds of gory details (laughs) about exactly what basically I just gritted my teeth and let it friends in my flesh rather than having to call in the team and get on a helicopter and go. I just worked my way through it and passed an obstruction, the likes of which I have never seen and I would not have believed was physically possible to pass. But that's what that's what incredible dehydration and zero fiber in your diet will do to you. Right. I mean, your your stool becomes like little hard rocks and occasionally an enormous rock. I mean, it was mostly bone. You know, yeah, I wasn't, yeah. I didn't re- have yeah. any fiber. So um, I just forced That's, myself yeah. to not give up and push through it. And, and it worked and it was, you know, I'm not a mother. Um, I'm, I'm old enough now that it's very unlikely I'll have children of my own, but I had a little bit of what you might consider a birth experience <laughs> passing that one particular, <laughs> particular blockage. Yeah. I, and, and, yeah, that's so. Thanks for sharing, one. Yeah, and your experience on the show, right? So you lost, I think, thirty-three percent of your body weight. Is that yes. mm-hmm. like thirty? Yeah. There's not much more. A lot. That was a lot. Yeah. That's, no, that's, a, that's, I, that's yeah. the danger zone. That's the red zone. Yeah. So you mentioned at the start of the, you started the conversation that when you go to the ages of your life, it's different. You know, you, you're, uh, you know, what's it like? Right, what's it like? And and it's the flip side of that. How could uh, from like do you can you bring your learnings from that that experience, those experiences on the edges into every day? Because I suppose that's what I'm seeking to understand more about again. How can I take maybe what you've learned at the edges and maybe be, let my let it shape me in some some way, right? So I think maybe did you do that, I suppose, is the question. But coming back, because I'm I've asked a couple of questions there. What was it like at the edges? What was that what was life like at the edges? You know, it was beautiful. Uh, I think that we have this place in our culture that's so deeply afraid of death and deeply afraid of real transformation that we tend to hold onto our own existence. We tend to hold onto our current state with this iron grip that doesn't allow for the kind of transformation that would actually be most healing. But if you look at most cultures prior to the industrial revolution, extreme rites of passage and major feats of endurance were at one time really common. And things like long-term fasting, you know, um, 
the the kinds of experiences where you go and you spend days by yourself yeah. with no food and water out in the wilderness, those were common for young people in our cultures for a long time. And there's a reason. They put you in a transcendental state. I mean, you absolutely get dreams and visions and intuitions and moments of clarity that are yeah. unlike anything I've ever experienced when I'm well-fed and yeah, clothed yeah, and yeah. housed. So I felt I mm. felt my connection to the landscape around me. I felt my ancestors speaking to me. I felt that landscape telling me that it loved me in ways I never have in normal life. And all of that was so beautiful. And I really feel that it was a really beautiful and natural way to be. I think that all animals are living on that edge of not making it through the winter, not get enough calories, yeah. barely making it to that mm. safe spot just out of the claws of that eagle mm. or the teeth of yeah. that fox. And that that's actually helps keep us humble, <laughs> helps give us perspective and helps take us out of this realm of our own self-importance, recognizing that we are a part of a living cycle. We're not just this one being so I was very comfortable with the idea of dying out there by the end. It felt natural and good to me to, to be able to say, well, I wasn't able to get enough food here. I wasn't able to get enough to get me through the winter. Mm -hmm. And so the natural consequences are that I'm going to get skinny and eventually lose energy and not be able to keep myself warm. And yeah. I'll die just like tons of animals in the Arctic die every winter. And there, that didn't feel wrong to me. I mean, not to say I'm not glad it didn't happen. I'm very glad it didn't happen. And then <laughs> I made it home. But it wasn't scary. It wasn't traumatizing. It felt beautiful and natural and right and really expanding. And some of the most powerful moments I had in my time in the Arctic were within that last week where I was really starting to recognize that my body was reaching an edge. Mm. And... I knew that and I still really didn't want to go. So experiencing so, yeah. something like that puts everything else in your life mm. into perspective, you know, like, yeah, it's a bummer that someone backed into my car and I have a dented fender, but let's put things into perspective, right? I can drive that car to the grocery store and get enough food <laughs> to see me through the next couple of weeks should I want to. So no big yeah, deal. Yeah. You know, I think that yeah. that kind of perspective would be very helpful for most people on the planet. I have so many questions. I suppose when you mentioned moments of clarity, you got moments, you had moments of intuition and moments of clarity. What were the most impactful ones? Do you know that that kind of came to you in those moments? Maybe that kind of altered you and transformed you in ways? The kinds. So there were there were a lot of moments of clarity. And one of them that was a consistent thing that I experienced throughout the latter half of my time was that when it got to a point where I recognized that no matter what I did, I couldn't, I couldn't work my way through allowing myself to stay. I could work as hard as I possibly could. And then there reached a point where I just needed to surrender and the land was either going to give to me or not. And every time I reached that point of surrender and kind of letting go of that human drive to make it the way we want it. Yeah. And it's just said, okay, it's, it's up to you, beautiful land. What's going to happen. That was when the land would start to give to me. And when I let myself feel the, the subtle tug in my body, as opposed to using my brain to tell me what to do next, I found things like 
needing to go and cut a tree for my shelter and knowing that there was a big stand of trees just like I needed right in front of me, but instead feeling my body pull me elsewhere mm. and following that pull far, far away, burning way more calories than it made sense to burn to somewhere else, yeah. cut a different tree. And then I literally found an arrow that I had spent weeks looking for lodged behind this one tree that I felt called to mm. cut, even though it really wasn't logical for me to have cut that particular yeah. tree. I also had a moment of really deep epiphany, the one in which I decided to choose to leave myself. Yeah. That moment of clarity was so razor sharp. And it was that I never, ever thought that I would make a choose to leave. Make a, I never thought that I would choose for myself yeah. to leave the Arctic. I thought that I was going to stay until the medical team pulled me. But I knew that it was getting to the point where I was going to get pulled very soon. And I had this epiphany while I was walking my trap line one day that while for weeks and weeks out there, I had been thinking success meant to make it to a certain time or to achieve certain mm. things before I left or stay until they pulled me out of there. All of a sudden, I realized that that wasn't success at all. And that wasn't the message that I wanted to give the world, that it was so much more important for me to choose myself and leave on my own terms with my autonomy, with my body intact, than to be pulled out of there against my will. And that moment showed me for the first time that this journey was so much bigger than just me. And it wasn't just about what I wanted for mm. my experience. It was about the message I was giving the world. Yeah. And was I going to tell a world of young girls that I would throw my body and my long-term health under the bus for money or this idea mm. of winning and competition, which is a fairly human created construct, right? And give the exact wrong message to all of those people watching and let someone else make my choices for me. So in that moment, I realized that I had to completely rewrite the end of the story and have it not be the way I always thought it would be and make sure that I made the call myself before the doctors made the call. And what you don't see from the show is that the day I chose to leave was the day there was a medical check coming. And I knew I had literally yeah. hours to make the choice myself versus have oh. them make it for me. So I got up before the sun rose and I went out to where I had signal to the satellite and I messaged the team and said, don't even bother bringing mm. the doctors. Yeah. Just come and get me. Yeah. So I know, you know, you mentioned kind of a message to young girls. It's, it's important to one area, right? That's the, the message you give to, to the world. But I think in particular young girls is, is it's important to you. Is that, am I, is that fair to say? That does feel fair yeah. to say. And, you know, another part of my story that I didn't share that is part of who I am and part of how I've built resilience um, isn't pretty. I, I'm a survivor of sexual abuse. I was raped by a partner and I experienced letting, you know, letting someone take control over my body and losing autonomy and having a man make a choice yeah. for me that I did not make for myself. And so that message to young girls specifically to a team of men, the team yeah. of doctors and the staff making a choice for me right. rather than making that call for myself and protecting my body, myself. I realized that there was no way that I would not have 
completed the full journey of recovering yeah. from my sexual abuse. If I let, you know, the moment yeah, that it yeah. mattered most yeah. when millions of people all over the world were going to be watching it, if I let go of my choice over mm. my body to hand it over to a group of men, that would undo the decades of work I had done healing from my own trauma. So mm. I realized that it, it wasn't even a choice. I couldn't do anything else. And I never expected that. And that was one of those moments of clarity that was just like a light bulb going off inside my cranium. And I mean, I dropped to the ground sobbing because when, when you got the clarity, I walked yeah. yes. Yeah. When I got that mm. moment of clarity, because I didn't want to leave. Yeah. I wanted to yeah. stay out there until I starved to death. I never wanted to leave that beautiful life, but I owed it to the world and I owed it to the young women watching, which is not to say that I don't care about all of the people watching everywhere along the gender spectrum and every age, mm. but it was a choice that I made specifically for the young woman, the young yeah. woman watching in that moment. Wani, you're such a powerful person, you know, just want to take a bit of a pause to reflect that back because you know, you're, you're having a positive impact on for sure. All the, all the young girls and 100%, but it, your positive impact extends way beyond just girls to even people like me. Right. So, 34 competitive athlete, you know, and I'm here I am. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I begged to get you on the show. I got you on the show and, you know, for many reasons. And, uh, I just want to pause and acknowledge such an exceptional person, you know, so, you know, keep, keep being you, right. Cause your impact is only just beginning for sure. And I can't wait to get the book That's and everybody, you put the book in the show notes, right. So everyone's going to get that book. Um, but again, it's so, as I always say, I've got so many questions, and for me, I suppose it's kind of, you went in, you were dropped off, you saw the plane go away, you you back on the plane. What is different? Like who's the one on the plane going off versus who's the one on the plane coming in? Mm, yeah, great question. There is some deep wisdom on a visceral level, way beyond anything we can wrap our intellectual minds around that getting so close to your own physical edge, really being on the edge of death and then recovering in parts that I don't know that I could have had some of the insights and healing and transformation and empowerment any other way. And I was someone who really did struggle for self-worth and I was very lonely as a child. I was an only child. Mm. I was small for my age. And I started school at four years old rather than five years yeah. old. So I was always the youngest and the least competent. And because of those things that really defined who I thought I was, you know, I felt incapable and lesser than for a lot of my life. And having achieved what I did in the Arctic and seeing for the first time what I was capable of and recognizing that I was capable of a freaking yeah. lot. You know, that <laughs> yeah, I killed yeah. it out there, literally and figuratively. I mean, that was my first it, yeah. real yeah. hunting. I had never hunted. I had never trapped before. And I had never really? hunted with a bow and arrow. I'd hunted with a rifle, but never with a bow and arrow before the show. So I proved to myself just how capable I am. And I knew that it was not easy. It's not like it was handed to me out there. This was the freaking Arctic. When I got on that helicopter to leave, it was probably minus 40 with wind chill, yeah, minus yeah. 40 Fahrenheit. So right, that's, yeah. well, actually it's the same minus 40 Fahrenheit and Celsius are the same. I mean, it was 
brutal conditions. And Mm. I left loving it, not wanting to leave and feeling like I was capable of anything. So all of those, that history of not believing in myself and feeling like the, you know, wimpy, tiny, lonely kid that didn't quite fit in socially, that was all gone. And I felt very determined to change the world with my experience and with what I had to share. And I've always wanted to change the world, but I didn't feel totally capable of it until the moment I left the Arctic. And I knew from the second I stepped onto that helicopter that I needed to write a book and I needed to give the world the gifts I got from out there. Because let's face it, very few people are ever going to have an experience like me. And most people would never push it to the degree that I did, given the choice. So the only way they were going to get those experiences was if I was capable of giving it to them vicariously. And the show wasn't going to do it. The only way it could happen and really reach the depth of it was me sharing it from my heart and from a place of total vulnerability, like I've shared with you, you know, what it was like to not poop for 16 days <laughs> in the frozen Arctic, yeah. you know, what about my history and all the things I've gone through gave me the strength to feel like the Arctic, <laughs> it's not that bad. You mm. should see some of what I've been through, you know? Yeah. So you're leaving ahead of a lot more confident in who you are and your your gifts to the world, right? And, and your purpose, right? Was your, like, what I was, was is, is it like on that plane leaving? Was your purpose very clear, or was it clear going into to the into season six as well, or did that become ahead of a lot more clear as well? It was always very clear. Mm. I've been teaching ancestral skills as a way to reach our fullest human potential and live the most beautiful, wild, connected life, the life that we evolved for. That's been a focus of me since I was in my early 20s. I first taught at an ancestral skills gathering in 1998 when I was 23. So it's been a long time. So it's not that it gave me a new purpose, but it gave me more tools and bigger reach. And it gave me something where people actually saw my my wisdom and my skills as valid because before I could talk until I was blue in the face and people like well what does she know but now people got to see me face Mm. an extreme challenge in really intense circumstances and do it beautifully and do it well and come out loving it so that gave me this air of of validity that I hadn't had previously so Mm. it just kind of codified my purpose and gave me a lot yeah. more ability to carry it out so most so a lack of self-worth or challenges with with self-worth a lot of people struggle with that today right and our culture said it sets our us culture up for it. it sets us up for it and judgment and you know criticizing yourself and comparing comparison social media it's um it's very hard for people so given like would do you have any like what would you say to those people that are struggling? Yeah, that's a great question because I struggle with it so much less than I do than I did previously. And yeah. it's not like that's totally gone for me. I'm still a product of our culture. But I do think that there are all kinds of ways that we can make it easier on ourselves. And one of those is unplugging a bit, setting time aside to not check your social media, not watch television, getting out to 
wilder places, whatever that looks like, even if it's just the local park, learning yeah. some of the plants, learning a couple different bird calls. It's so empowering yeah. to be out in the woods and hear a bird call and think, I think that That's might message. be yeah. a black headed ghost beak. And then it flies in front of your path. That is so empowering and no one can take that away from you. Right. But when we are plugged into social media and all of the all of the information that our culture is throwing at us all the time, there's always someone better than you to compare yourself to, right? There's no way to ever reach that pinnacle. Because even if you reach that pinnacle, then you're going to fall off of it. And then you might be more poorly off than you were before you had ever achieved it, right? That's the way our culture is set up. So it's the degree to which we explore those parts of us that are innate, but unexpressed. Yeah. Like, what yeah. we find when we spend time in nature and we find that we are capable of learning, taking care of ourselves, feeling connected. So I think, you know, most people aren't going to be dropped off into the wilderness to live for as long as they can, but can you learn how to build a shelter and spend one night in the wilderness? Can you learn how to set up a tent and go to the local campground and spend 24 hours away from your television and phone mm. and not fill your head with soundtracks or podcasts. Yeah, or not just to be present. Yeah. Podcast, of course, just be present. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah, I, lo I, lo I love what you're sharing. What is it about? I suppose it's again, and you and look, actually you, you would have experienced this more than anyone, right? Being alone with your own thoughts or your own inner dialogue, your inner world. So people, you know, would go for a walk or they'd spend time to switch off, but they're still switched on to, or they're still not, they're not giving themselves space to actually really switch off. Um, but for, you know, like, you know, I don't know, but I, I, I know from through my work in that, the inner dialogue is, is a powerful thing. And a lot of times people aren't happy with what their inner dialogue is and, and the stories they tell themselves. So you, you, so you spent 73, like overall 123, 125 days given season. 123, given the, yeah. Yeah, 123, given the alone season. We're going to, frozen season, sorry. And we'll explore that. But like just overall, all that, all that time alone. How did you, how did you um, sit with your inner world? That's the word, I, I don't know, whatever word I'm going to use, but how did you um, live with it? That, that inner dialogue and, and again what was that like and what were the challenges and you know, what, what, was, what was going on in, that, in those times because that's so much time alone so much time with no phone no no external devices to take you away from coming coming to face with what you say in your internal world so yeah there were there were a lot of things that came up one thing that was fascinating that's been really illuminating was the degree to which my inner dialogue was overtaken by this outpouring of all of the media I've consumed in my life. I had whole albums that I had listened to in my teenage years playing and I word for word songs that I had no idea I even knew the lyrics Whoa. to all of a sudden I had the entire yeah. albums in my head I had movies all the movies that I had watched over and over on VH <laughs> when I was a kid you know every scene from the movies so it really showed me the degree Jeez. to which we don't recognize how much we're taking in That's and so storing yeah yeah and it also made me want to be very conscious of what I put in 
from here on out because a lot of that stuff was not stuff that was helpful for me to have lodged in my brain for my lifetime. So being more aware of what we let ourselves listen to and absorb and what we let our children listen to and absorb. Um, And then there were a lot of very conscious things that I did to help encourage the inner dialogues that I knew would be most helpful to me. One was rather than beat myself up for my failures to really focus on my successes. So to set small achievable goals so that I had some sense of success. I might go out and check my trap line and have it be empty and know that I wasn't eating that day, but I would gather a load of firewood and I would bring it home Mm. and I could be warm and cozy. And that's amazing, right? What if I had had a twisted ankle and I hadn't been able to get the firewood? So getting the firewood was a success. Some right. some element of like it's important for for momentum and motivation and just to keep keep that kind of small win, you know, daily. And I think yeah. you know, there's always ways you can find that. What we focus on gets multiplied, yeah. right? If we focus yeah. on our failures, then it, that feels bigger and more universal. So we feel like a failure. But if we focus on our successes, then we feel like we're capable of the next step up, right? Well, maybe I didn't get to the trap line today, but I I achieved the firewood. So tomorrow I have another chance at the trap line. I also set up specific routines for celebration and honoring myself. And that was huge. I had gotten advice before I went on the show, not to track time, just see it as a continuum and don't count the passage of days. To me, every, every week, was a chance to celebrate every 10 days was a chance to celebrate so it yeah. actually was helpful it's important it's, again yeah you're right it's important for momentum and important for patting yourself on the back made another week and i think yeah. you you would you would dance uh dance day right it was a thursdays or dance thursday thursdays was yeah. dance party days <laughs> yeah so every thursday whatever else was going on i made a point of stopping whatever really critical survival task i was i was focusing on taking a break and just saying, this isn't for that. This is a time just for joy and expression and appreciating being here. And that was huge. I mean, it wasted calories. It wasted (laughs) precious time. But what it did for me mentally, emotionally was, you know, was incomparable. And it was so worth it. And that's something I wish they had showed more. They showed me dancing once on the show but they never let you know that that was not a one-off that was a weekly practice for me that I made sure I did and the very last Thursday before I left I didn't have it in me I just couldn't motivate to dance and that was part of what made me realize that it was time to go home because I had made a commitment if I get to the point where I'm not enjoying life Mm. enough to dance about it then that's when I don't belong here anymore. And that I did reach that point and I did listen to it. What was the, um, like I'm, I'm, before we move on from this allowance of season six, before we get to the frozen experience, like I think, I know you mentioned the Northern Lights and I was lucky enough to see those as well, not to the extent that, that you would have seen them. So where I'm kind of going now is like, what was your peak experience Maybe you've already outlined it, right? Maybe you've already mentioned it with your um, razor sharp awareness of this is the time to to go. Maybe that was it. But was there anything else that kind of stands? Yeah, there <laughs> were it? there were other peak moments. Yeah. yeah, and each of them are are definitely very thoroughly described in the book. But there were several moments throughout my time that just were those those moments of clarity and brightness where the whole world just seemed 
alight and speaking to me. And that's what I was referring to that I don't know that I could have reached that depth had I not mm. been starving by myself in yeah. extreme circumstances for a long time. But one moment was just this one particular evening and there was nothing enormously special about it, but I just happened to be out harvesting berries towards the tip of this little peninsula that I was living on mm. just about sunset. And I was usually doing my little sunset salutation. I always sang to the sun at the end of every day. I always sang the sun down. And I usually did that on this one area overlooking the water where the sun set into. Yeah, but this yeah. evening I was out at the end of the peninsula. And so I caught the sunset there. And there was just something in that moment that struck me as so beautiful and magical and unique. Mm. And I really, I mean, the wilderness was so vast that I really felt like the only person on earth for most of my time out. It just felt like no one has ever experienced anything like this. And it just occurred to me that loving the world so deeply, being so profoundly open to the beauty and the awe of the natural world that it just cracks you open. I just burst into tears with love for the experience yeah. and for the world. And at that time, it was before I was getting game. I was had been Start, truly were, starving yeah, for yeah. several weeks at that point. And I just realized that so much more than any other survival skill is our ability to be utterly in love with the life and the place that we find ourselves. And that makes hunger and cold and discomfort feel nominal compared to those things. I mean, we've all, we've all, well, I shouldn't say all, but most of us have experienced deep romantic love, right? And just how yeah. it's like being on drugs. It's like completely life-changing yeah. and all of your priorities shift and everything about who you thought you were and what you thought you wanted changes. And I had a moment like that with this wild place, just the wilderness and the wildness of that experience did that to me. And that was, that was a peak moment. Yeah. I, I had I, another I moment. That. Yeah, I feel that. Uh, yeah. I, I feel something there, one of you. Like I feel, I, I get a sense. I again, I'm like, when you explain these things, I'm just there with you. You know, I'm kind of on the, I'm on the rock, or I'm, I can, I'm trying to visualize the, <laughs> the sun going down, right? So, you know, so it's kind of um, the way you're articulating it right now, it's pretty powerful. So again, the book, I can't imagine how, how great the book is. You know, for for you to explain these kind of situations and for us to get a little snippet into what you would have experienced i know because we're never like what you've experienced is hard earned right you've, you've you know you went to the edge and and it's there is where you all you got all those experiences and there was another experience you were going to share one yeah i kept for i couldn't one other yeah. thing i'll say is that i had a moment towards the very end of my time when i realized that i was going to have to leave soon or i would die out there that was the most beautiful experience I've ever had in my entire life. And in that moment, mm -hmm. it was another sunset moment. And it was a sunset out on the lake ice where it wasn't just the sky above me. It was the entire world underfoot. And because of the fracturing of the ice on the lake, there were thousands of sunsets, all slightly different oh, colored, yeah. spread out in front of me, behind me, above me, all around me. It was the most epically beautiful thing I'd ever experienced. And in that moment, I felt like, you know what? 
my whole life has been building up to the second. And if they whisk me away on a helicopter or if I fall through the ice tomorrow, I'm good because I got to have this moment right here and right now. And even now, years later, that moment is still a pinnacle life experience that I wouldn't trade anything for. <laughs> Pretty amazing. Um, you must miss those moments, Monia, because you can only get those at the age rate. And that's going 70 plus you know, days, absolutely starving. So yeah. how, do you, how do you manage life without those moments? Right. Yeah, well, I will say there's a really big letdown when you return to the normal mundane life after yeah. those kinds of transcendental experiences. But it's just about appreciating the subtler beauty and finding a way to do that every day. And honestly, I'm a naturalist. I mean, my background is is the sciences. So my master's degree is in environmental science and my work was in botany and entomology. So being out in nature and discovering a plant that I've never seen before when I'm a plant person and I know quite a lot about plants, that's an epiphany moment for me. Hearing yeah. a bird song that I've never heard before and then finding that bird or seeing a bird that I've never seen before or recognizing that after years of working on birding by ear, I now am getting to the point where I can hear those subtler bird songs way off in the distance yeah. and I can pick those out and know what they are or hear the difference between a female and a male bird song or the difference between a courtship call and a contact call mm. or all of the subtleties of all of the amazing things that are going on yeah. in the natural world all the time that almost nobody recognizes. Those are such deep moments of connection with, with self, with my own senses, my own intuition and with the world around me that while it's not a jaw-dropping sunset that rips my heart wide open. It's still beautiful and fulfilling. And those are the moments that that inspire me and keep me going and that I want to share with other people so that yeah. they get some of that same love yeah. and beauty and transformation. And, and you share through your programs, Wani, right? So Box Skill Revolution and you've got all different online programs, put them all in the show notes. And they, you know, they're online, right? So all over the world, you've got participants from you know countries everywhere and I think I've absolutely yeah you know, I've had people yeah. from all over Europe I've had folks from Polynesia and a lot in Australia and New Zealand and one of the courses that I think is most re related to the things we're talking yeah. about now is connection as a survival skill that's one of my courses and people see survival skill and they think it's going to be how to tie knots and how to build a shelter and how to use your knife appropriately but it's but that's not what it is it's about fostering these kinds of connections, paying yeah. more attention to the world around us and the ways that that completely transforms how we are in the world and believing that we're capable rather than that the world is out to get us is better for our survival than having a backpack full of gadgets and a lot of know-how, but feeling yeah. like we're fighting something. That puts us in fight or flight. That's mm. not a good nervous system state to be in in wild places. You know what? Obviously, there's there's a lot of evil in the world, right? I suppose if you want to use that word, with things that happen to people and things, you know, Ukraine and Russia and there's so many other instances in life that, you know, are, are pretty hard to comprehend. And sometimes I struggle with that myself when I think about stuff that has happened and is happening. How do you, how do you um, reflect on those? Like what, tell us more about how you manage, like how you deal with those moments of, 
you know, what's going on in the world and what your mindset is about that? Yeah, that's a great question. To me, when I see the kinds of tragedies and atrocities and uh, agreed, you know, things that feel really evil, what helps me is going into a place of empathy and recognizing how deeply wounded the people who are the perpetrators of such things are and recognizing that to me, the majority of the wounds that affect people on the planet today is the disconnection from nature, is the disconnection from self, is this idea that we're victims rather than we're incredibly lucky to have what we have and recognizing that whole, fulfilled, happy people don't commit these things. So every way that I can get more skills, classes, connections, learning information into the world that helps more people Mm. feel whole and happy and content, that is healing the world. That's changing the world. So I used to be more politically active, going to protests and signing all the petitions and donating to all of the causes. And not that that isn't important, but to me, it's so much greater impact to do what I can to have there be more happy people in the world who are healing their many wounds and feel less broken because it's broken people that act out in terrible ways towards other people. So it empowers me to do more. When I see tragedies in the world, it, it really makes me feel more driven to do the good work that's going to help more people because I can only impact so many people. But through my courses and my online teaching, yeah. I'm able to spread that out over a much greater yeah. portion of the world. And then each of those people are going to be impacting the people around them. So it's the the ripples in the pond, right? I'm yeah, yeah. I'm starting the ripples. I'm the, the stone in the middle. But knowing that those circles of ripples spread out and impact more and more people. And that's how I can be most effective. Yeah. So something t- I, I'm not sure you might. I don't think you do have a program money on this, but you know, self program on self work or just something, you know, just kind of really targeted on transformation, transformational journey into your um, fulfillment in life. You know, for, for people, I think there's just something there because, you know, your mindset, your ability to see the beauty and challenge and overcome adversity and see the learnings, take, like there's so much power in, in your journey and what you shared beyond, like, you know, that, yeah, I, I mean, that's something we can talk about offline or if you know what i'm just i just see uh i just see something there in that one of the things that that can help us find that empowerment and self-worth is letting go go of the story of who we're supposed to be and getting more in touch with who we actually are and recognizing that we all have our own gifts and our own challenges i'm a very creative type and i have all these things that Mm. i'm able to give but i'm not very good at being punctual And I am not good at cleaning up after myself. I have ADD. I'm one of these like chaotic creative types that has a hard time just keeping my life organized, honestly. And I used to spend so much time focusing on that and beating (laughs) myself up for that. And now I'm able to be like, you know what? There are lots of people in the world and I can hire an organized assistant for that, you know, that allows me to focus on what my gifts are rather than forcing myself into this box yeah, of how yeah. I'm supposed to function when that's clearly not working, never has, right? So let's yeah. let go of that story and check in with what's 
actually true and build a life that lifts me up rather than has me in constant conflict with the idea of being a person that I'm not. Yeah, that's a great point, one of you. Like, understand like, that awareness comes with just being aware of who you are and your values and your strengths and your weaknesses or your blind spots and um, being okay with all of that, you know, it's very important. So, so the recovery then, right? So off the plane with an absolutely, you know, the experiences you've gained that, you know, we never experienced because you never go to the, to, to the edges that you went to, you're on a plane back and then recovery and the challenges of what you've been through start to lift to the surface. And I can imagine you're faced with another challenge then, right? You're going to the edges again. So what was recovery like, Wani? What was the, tell us about how your body recovered from losing 32% body weight and, you know, and everything else. What was that like? How long yeah. did that take? What was the journey? You know, it's that's a great question. And I will say that when people ask me what was the hardest part of my alone journeys, the two things I usually say are the the intestinal issues with constipation out there yeah. and the returning. So the hardest part for me was coming home and having to say goodbye to a way of life that I had fantasized about from the moment I had conscious thought. You know, when I was a toddler, my favorite games were climbing around in the underbrush, harvesting food into baskets. And they probably just looked like little chips of bark set onto yeah. a plate, you know, but like all I've ever wanted from the time I can remember was a life like well, the one well, I was living yeah. in the Arctic. So to, to be torn yeah. away from that was terrible. It was awful. That said, I also knew that I would have died out there. I needed to come back. I needed to rejoin the human race. I needed to give my body things that I hadn't been able to give it out there. But it was an incredibly vulnerable time. I went from the most empowering experiences of my entire life, living by myself in this wild, rugged landscape, to feeling like a child, didn't have control over what I ate, when I mm. ate, you know, being yep. on a refeeding program that was so much harder for me than starving in the wilderness, not having control over what I got to eat when I'm in the modern world, surrounded yeah. by all of these well-fed people who are eating whatever they want. That was really hard. I felt incredibly broken open. I felt like, yeah. like my skin was this transparent membrane and I had no protection against all of the, the onslaught, all the neon lights, you know, and the, yeah. and the media and all of the, all of the things that come with human culture that are not the prettiest parts of human culture. I just felt so raw and torn open and vulnerable. And all I wanted to do was to shut the world out. And I could yeah. do that for a little while, but I couldn't do it forever. I never wanted to leave Yellowknife. When I first got out and I was kind of shut up in a hotel for a while, slowly yeah. getting my system used to food again and monitoring me very carefully to make sure I didn't end up back in the hospital yeah. after coming out. I mean, they flew me right to the hospital when I came out, but mm. I was okay. So they didn't have to admit me, but you know, it was, it was a, it was a narrow line and I had to be very careful to make sure that my recovery went well rather than turned a corner and started to go downhill, which has happened for people yeah. from the show. Um, so it was, it was its own experience that was absolutely incredibly intense and not what I was expecting. I had no idea out there how intense and how difficult the recovery process was going to be. Yeah. And it's absolutely why we saw people 
leaving the frozen season early because the first time you don't know what it's doing to your oh, body, yeah, and to yeah, your yeah. psyche and what recovery will be like. And the second time it's all you can think about. Yeah, you 100% trauma. know yeah. what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. You traumatized by the first experience that, you know, it's coming and it's kind of like, oh, but like I said, I can yeah. just, I'm, I'm imagining like, you know, in, in the wild, like, you know, those transformative experiences and sunset and like, and all that natural beauty. And then all of a sudden you're in a hotel room, yeah. you know? In a city, which it's a small city, city yeah. but I remember one night waking up and it was, you know, this is just below the Arctic Circle. So in December, that means that the sun is only up for maybe three hours a day, right? So it's dark all the time. I woke up in a hotel room and there was a snowplow outside and the lights of the snowplow were flashing into my room. And yeah. I woke up terrified that it was an yeah. earthquake or a natural disaster or or some terrible thing. A lot of people have a lot of nightmares when they first get out. Yeah. And you just are so aware of all of the disharmonies and the things bombarding you in the human world in ways that you knew intellectually, but you weren't deeply viscerally feeling before being out in the wilderness like that. So yeah, it's it's a trip and it's fascinating. And it's one thing that the show really doesn't talk about at all. Partly I think because they don't want people to know yeah, how hard exactly, yeah. the experience yeah. is on you, you know, like they would probably be, get kind of blasted. <laughs> Yeah, like media, if they knew, if people knew what it really did to people long term. Um, yeah, you mentioned it, like you mentioned how ancestral living, right, and kind of living from our place of evolution, and you know, tiny with the hunter gatherer days, and all of that. But to go from that to to just take somebody and put them into that environment, and then take them right back out and bring them back into the to the world we live in now, right? That's been shifted and changed so many ways. Like that, that shift in itself is just so against human nature, right? To just go from one comp- right. one experience to right again the opposite, like that is just yeah. such so so much against natural evolution as well, right? So it's kind of how does your yeah? They've just yeah. been able to give me a backpack full of food and said, okay, here's a compass, here's where Yellowknife is, hike back out to Yellowknife. Then I could have, you know, adjusted. <laughs> <laughs> by the yeah. time I got it, there but being picked up in a helicopter from the wilderness and dropped into the emergency room of a hospital in a city I mean talk about overstimulation and rapid change I mean it just about broke my brain and body and both times I felt way more physically impacted and poorly off during recovery than I ever did out in the wilderness yeah how long did it take one year before you kind of came back to 100% if I was going to, is there is there a such thing as coming I, back to 100% mostly I would actually say that I am better off physically and healthier now than I was before Brilliant. my alone experiences but I I don't think that I am completely back to normal or whatever my new normal will hopefully be um, yeah. since frozen but the first time was about a year and a half to two years and it's been a year and a half now since frozen and I still don't feel a hundred percent. Um, mostly in my, in my weight and my metabolism, it really throws off your metabolism hugely reaching the point of starvation. Um, it changes the way your body responds to food and calories for a while. And the first time, one of the biggest long-term impacts was the way it shifted 
my body, you know, like being really, really hungry, eating a ton, not gaining any weight, and then gaining a ton of weight and having it be really weirdly distributed on my body. And then it like finally finding its way back to balance, but then having a much higher weight for a while because my body was Mm. so traumatized essentially by starving that it held on to every calorie and then finding my way back to what felt normal and then really putting a lot of effort to being healthy. And I should say, I am someone, I almost went into the field of nutrition. I almost did training (laughs) to be a a personal trainer. Like I'm really health conscious. I'm really aware of my diet and nutrition and physical capacity and working out and healing ways to live in the world and trying to find that ancestral and primal way of being. So I think that I tend to my recovery and my health more than a lot of people who've been on alone because of that. And because of the ways that almost dying from starvation um, put me more in tune with what's actually happening in my body. I feel like I have been able to build a life that has me much healthier and more robust now than I was before I went out. But there are still some impacts and it's only been five years since my first time. So there might be long-term ramifications that I don't know. Certainly there are other people who've been on a loan who feel like their health has been negatively impacted in the long-term. That hasn't been my experience, but for the first couple of years after each experience, it really impacted me. Also, I will say that I was just, I had been back to what we could say was normal for almost a year when the invitation for the second alone season came out. And there was a part of me that was like, oh, dang, I just (laughs) stepped off of this roller coaster. And And it's great. I'm loving being off of the roller coaster. Am I really willing to step back on again and put my body through a wild ride that's going to last years. It was a big choice I was faced yeah, with. Yeah. I so didn't good. ever think I would yeah. say no. I didn't ever think I'd step <laughs> away from it, but yeah. I questioned it more than I thought I would have because of knowing the long-term repercussions. So you were never going to say no, right? So what was it that was kind of really moving you towards it? Was it just that longing for that? going out there again and just again that child that toddler that you know wanted to be out there it was just tapping into that right you moved it towards was it. that yeah. yeah my time on season six was the most amazing and beautiful and magical transformative experience of my life and I never stopped missing it when I came back I wanted it again all the time I missed the land up there I really fell in love with northern Canada mm-hmm. and so I I never stopped thinking that I wanted to be back out there. That said, my experience on the frozen season was very, very different the first time. And it it was amazing and beautiful in all kinds of ways, but it never reached the same level of connection and magic that the first time did. Yeah. And I think that's the kind of like you can't, you can never recreate what was perfect and magical. And when you go in with expectations that it'll be similar, then you're setting yourself up for disappointment. And that did happen to me a bit on Frozen. So even while I could be said to have achieved more success on Alone Frozen than I did on season six, season six was no less powerful and probably more transformative. I don't want to say more empowering because Frozen was incredibly empowering, but more transformative because it was the first time. Yeah. And you already, like, would it it be fair to say, Wania, that you you were more closer to the edge in season six than you were in season 
in the, in the frozen season it was 50 days in the frozen season it was 73 was it, would that probably be a reason or part, part of it yes i was a hundred percent more on the edge physically my first season than I was on the second season. And that's part of what was beautiful and empowering about the second one is the first time I was 100% attached to the idea of thriving out there, not just gritting my teeth and barely getting through it. But the reality is that I wasn't thriving. I was starving the first time. The second time I ate every single day I was out there. I never had constipation issues. I never got dramatically dehydrated. I had some physical challenges, but keeping myself warm, sheltered, fed was not as nearly as much of an issue the second time. And so in that way, I really achieved my goal. But I think, yes, you're right, that it's also part of why it moved me less because living on that edge is so powerful and it's harder to reach Mm. that if you're not in fear of your life. You know, it was was great to to watch. And one, one one of the key things that I was taking away from it about you was your concern and care for other people you were always wondering about is everyone else okay i wonder is everybody okay and um, you know it was amazing to see even in those experiences how you were still concerned with others and um, where does that come from a lot of places one i think is that i'm not really geared towards the kind of competition that the alone season that the alone show wants you they want it to be a competition and mm. i never liked the idea of it being a competition on season 6 and most alone seasons and part of what was so appealing to me about alone frozen was that it wasn't set up to be a competition we could all win it yeah. wasn't yeah, the yeah. last one standing you know and so, so i knew that yeah. going in and it was appealing so it felt like even though we were all on our own it felt like a team effort we all made plans for how we were going to celebrate together day 54 when we'd be more likely to all be able Reconnect. to eat again because yeah. <laughs> it takes a minute over um, dinner so i was looking forward yeah exactly i was looking yeah. forward to celebrating with the others and also the second time I'd been part of the larger alone community. I mean, a lot of my dear friends are people from the alone show. Michelle Finn, who was the runner up on Frozen and I were just texting each other last night and sending pictures. I sent her a hello from my mom on Mother's Day, you know, like I love those people. Um, Both Michelle and Callie were dear friends who I had spent time with before going out on the Frozen season. And the other people on the season, I hadn't met personally, but we knew each other. We'd, we'd, yeah. been connected through the internet truly, before truly sure, yeah. so yeah the first time you it's a bunch of strangers and the second time it's your friends who are out there so of course you're going to be thinking about them and wishing them well and frozen was insanely challenging and it was kicking my butt and i knew that it was kicking everyone's butt because those storms yeah, were yeah, of a yeah, ferocity yeah. i had never yeah. experienced and so it was hard not to be thinking about Oh my God, <laughs> I'm just kids. barely making it. How is everybody else doing? Yeah. Is everybody okay? Or are they, you know, getting destroyed by this storm? Like I'm almost being. There were seven other people around here, right? So it was yourself and there was a seven others or was it five others? Was it six altogether or eight? It was six altogether, six, so yeah. five so, others. So six past participants on a different season, strong past participants came together for a very, very challenging season where you were you were closer to the arctic or you were even in the arctic right kind of your no actually we were further south in labrador yeah. than, than we had been on but it was later in the season right wasn't it it was kind of later 
there were there yeah. were two seasons in the Arctic in the region that I had been on in season six, and this was further south than we had been then. And because of that, I assumed that it wouldn't be as hard physically, yeah. but it was so much harder. It was yeah. so much harder. And it wasn't because of the latitude. It was because of being right on the Atlantic coast and the Boy. weather. I learned afterwards that Labrador is renowned all around Canada as being the harshest weather you can find anywhere in Canada. And I was naive going in. I didn't really know what won. we were going to be up against. When you came, like I suppose not that you won, right? I rephrase that. So it was the six of you and in 50 days. And if you could all last 50 days, you're going to, you're going to celebrate, I suppose, and you're going to split the prize. But you were the only person that got there to the finish line. Um, Correct. Yeah. So, yeah, which was shocking, yeah. frankly. I knew, you know, to me, going in, 50 days was only two thirds as long as I had been out the first time. And Callie had been out longer still. And a lot of the others had been out nearly that amount of time. So I think we all went in thinking, we got this. And then it was so much harder yeah, than we could have imagined. Yeah. And your point earlier and, as well, Wanya, about the experience the first time and a bit of trauma coming in, knowing what's coming next, knowing the recovery, you know, that that definitely impacted people. But you didn't get, like, I mean, you have, like, not to say you weren't impacted by that, but you overcame that challenge as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of that was just recognizing what a unique experience it was. So while there were so many beautiful and wonderful things about it. It was a lot harder than I had thought it was going to be. And while I never thought about going home on season six, I thought about it every single day on Frozen. Not yeah. not that I thought I was going to do it, but it was appealing to me on Frozen <laughs> while it was the last thing I wanted yeah. on season six. So I talked to myself about it every day. And I told myself, okay, like this might be hard, but look at all of the amazing things you're getting to experience that you will never have the opportunity to experience again. So focus on that, focus on the positive. And if you ever go through, say a full three days where you're just absolutely miserable and all you want to do is go home, then you get to do it. But if you can find something to appreciate and be glad that you're here about every day, that's enough. And once I made that promise to myself, everything started to improve and I was never really tempted to leave again. It was actually yeah. the very first week that was the hardest for me yeah. on Frozen. And then, so, so yeah, so, so then what happened was they arrived to let you know that you won or that you got there. 50 days were up, your claim was up. Tell us how that felt to hear that you got there, you, you're, you made it to the finish line. How did I feel? So my experiences were really different season six and frozen because mm. the first time we had no idea how long we would be out there. But the second time we knew exactly how many days mm. and it's you know, pretty easy to keep track because you're really fixated <laughs> every <laughs> yes. day on so exactly you know, you how many yeah. days you have left. Yeah. yeah. So I knew well before that exactly. unless something really unforeseen happened terrible storm and uh, not that there weren't terrible storms but more terrible an accident you know something some something that took me out in ways that I didn't have control over I knew that I was going to make it so it wasn't a surprise to do it but it certainly was a surprise to hear about the outcome for everybody else yeah and Let's see 
how you, we... you froze for a minute, so I don't no, know. Did good. you did we're you good. lose me? No, okay. I, no, you were good. You, you were through it. So, so I know that okay. like you were you're the first female contestant to, and I know obviously given your how important it is for you to be a role model to to young girls, I can imagine that must have been heartwarming for you and inspirational for you to know that you're the first female contestant to win. So congratulations and yeah, I'm delighted for you. So how did it, how did that like how did you feel how did you feel when you realized I suppose at the same time you realized everybody had not made it you realized that you were the first female contestant to win. So that was something. Yeah, I mean it was amazing. It was it was incredibly gratifying and what kept going through my head I'm I might get emotional and start crying but it was just the degree to which like no no young girls in the future will have to question whether or not they're capable of it like mm. I had to question was I was a young woman because I didn't I didn't see strong but also vulnerable and open and real women it was like in order to to achieve that as a woman you had to deny your femininity right mm. you had to be more masculine to prove that you were capable in this male-dominated world yeah. and I chose on season six not to do that and to highlight my femininity and see it as a strength, not a handicap. And, you know, I wore a skirt on season six. On <laughs> the frozen season, the conditions were far too harsh. That wasn't an option for me. But to win as a woman, not in spite of being a woman, felt really, really important. And recognizing that from here on out, young women would have me hmm. as an example yeah. of the idea that they can be anything they want to be and achieve anything they want and not having to struggle to find acceptance or deny their femininity as I did a lot mm. in my younger life trying yeah. to prove myself they would never have to go through that again so knowing that I had given that gift to the world and to young women was incredibly powerful yeah like I've, I've got um you know a lot of powerful women in my life and I'm, I'm going to share this conversation with them you know we can't wait to do that but I also have uh, one and a half going on two is his daughter. Um, and I hope that she'll watch this, you know, when she gets older as well. You know, and she's um she's everything to me. Um in many ways. And I'm I'm glad that I'm able to speak with you because, you know, if, if my daughter had some of the skills you have, it'd be such an you know, such amazing an amazing thing. But I suppose the question I have is is there anything anything that you haven't shared with me or you know in our conversation that that you feel compelled to share now that would be, you know, when, these, when my daughter is listening into the conversation that would be helpful for her and her life or anybody at this moment in time that's listening in that any advice or any guidance or any, anything that they need to hear. Thanks. Yeah. That's, that's a great thing to ponder. And I guess there are things I would share. And one of them is that one of the most powerful things that we can do is learn to seek our knowledge from somewhere deeper than our minds, because our minds can really be swayed by all of the messages that we get from our culture. And yeah. our culture tends to be one that that puts the intellect on a pedestal mm. and sees it as the most powerful thing. But often the, the intellectual knowledge is coming from a place of should, I should do this, and I ought to that, and I'm supposed to this, rather than listening from somewhere deeper. I want to say the heart, but I even think it's different and deeper from the heart, yeah. tapping into that deep sense of knowing that we feel from a visceral 
place, that's one of the most powerful things that we can do for ourselves. And that gives us a compass and a rudder mm -hmm. in this sea of influences that want to push us this way and that and throw us off our center and out of that place of deep inner trust and deep inner knowing. So the earlier we can begin to build those muscles and that practice yeah. of tuning out the outside world, turning off the mind and sinking into the body and bringing its wisdom to the surface. I think that really serves. And that's part of the practices that are going to help us achieve whatever it is that is our life's purpose to achieve. That's for everybody, right? That's from, you know, everybody in the world, <laughs> just uh, for sure. So, yeah. So I know we're pushing on time now. So again, I got to hold back and <laughs> the hundreds of questions that I've yet to ask. But um, what's next for you, Wani? I suppose in five years' time, where would you be? Mm. What would you be doing? Wonderful question. Well, yeah. I will say that these last years of my life have been about giving to the world in ways that are going to be able to inspire people without me directly impacting each individual, like my book and my online classes. Mm. But what I aspire to and I'm looking to build in the next five years is getting a piece of land where I get to have classes and give these skills to people Brilliant. in person where yeah. they get to actually experience it for themselves, taking people out into the wilderness, teaching them the variety of skills, not just for wilderness survival, but for living a life that's more handcrafted and more tuned to what it has been to be a human for countless generations mm. rather than what it's meant to be a human just in our modern era. Yeah. And yeah. being able to yeah. unplug a little bit because this time has been about being really present in, in the media to get that I message know. out. But I, yeah. I'll be more effective when I get to unplug from it <laughs> more and put yeah. these things into practice in a daily way myself rather than throwing my yeah. life under the bus in, or, in order to inspire people to get yeah. out and unplug. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I, I appreciate you talking to me as well because, again, it's, it's, um, you know, it's, a, it's going on to the media and all, and all that but I yeah when you look I just you know I want to say thanks so much totally inspired uh, you know as I always was by you just from becoming aware of what you do and how you do it and learning from you on the show I think you're a powerful person and um, extraordinary you know you're such a transformative person in every sense of the way I think you're making such a huge impact uh, you're a caring nature you know you're so selfless in many ways um giving shining light uh I, you know I, I could just keep going right the words keep going on and some part of me just doesn't even have words you know just because i just you know just keep being you anyway right and, and I've, I've, i hope that we meet in person one day and I, you know if, as you said you'd have stuff your own land that you want to do some powerful things you know i'll be i'm confident i'll be there i might even bring my daughter over right so just so she gets a bit older look Thanks so much. Um, Money, is there anything else that you'd like to share? I know I'm going to put a lot of your stuff in the show notes into your website, your book, you know, all your stuff, the programs. Um, so definitely going to, going to do that. You know, it's going to be so powerful. But is there anything else, Money, that you, you have that you find you think you should share any last comments from you on your side? I think, I think that the best, the best things for people to find more about who I am and what I'm doing are via my websites where I have all kinds yeah. of information and all kinds of ways that you can learn about what I do and get little pieces of it. I mean, from the basic 
of signing up for my newsletter mailing list to being a Patreon member where we have monthly live Zoom calls where yep. we actually get to get to interact. So I get the the up close and personal with individuals through that, as well as they support me to get my message out to yeah. the masses and seeing the individual lives that I impact is what keeps me going. I love seeing the masses, but it doesn't mean as much to me when I don't actually have a relationship with, with mm. the people. So yes. the Patreon membership has been something that's been really, really beautiful and fed me a lot in the last couple of years. Yeah. And also keep in mind that eventually I would love to get over to Ireland and teach some classes there. So that's something we could be in touch about. And I actually You're have welcome. family in Ireland still. Yeah. So that, that's heart. part of my heritage. Um, I could ask my mother. I'm not sure, but we have. Um, my mother was just emailing with our cousin named Stephen in Ireland oh, last night. Oh. So, of all of my ancestry, that's the only place in the world that we still have family that we're in touch with. My great grandfather came over from Ireland as a young man. Um, oh, oh. so yeah, Amazing. that definitely is part of my world tour trajectory would be connecting with my heritage in Ireland and Scotland right. and England and France. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely help you if you're coming over here and I'll get you set up and <laughs> make it as easy as possible. Right. So love to, to host you and, and help you over here. Uh, one of you. So be sure to get in touch, but listen, thanks so much. It was, it was something else and, and we'll definitely talk again. Hopefully so. Thank you again. I hope one so. Year. Yeah. My pleasure. Thanks so much, Stephen. I really enjoyed it. You're a wonderful interviewer and you, allowed me to talk about things that are really the passion of my heart. Whereas a lot of the interviews I've done, folks just ask kind of the standard thing that are about different aspects of the alone show, but that don't light me up as much to talk yeah. about. So just, I really appreciate the conversation. 